Oh boy. But moving on, moving on, we have a very interesting glimpse into the multipolar world. We're, we, we get to see the multipolar world in action because of what Turkey has done recently. Uh, and this is really a sort of a interplay between Russia and Turkey because last week Turkey handed over three of the three leaders from the Azov battalion who surrendered in Mariupol, the Azov-style uh, plant, that steel plant. If you remember in the, the last, the final days of the siege of Mariupol, there were the, that hold those troops that were holding out in the Azov-style steel plant. Yeah, when they surrendered, their leaders from the Azov battalion, uh, they, as, as part of the terms for their surrender, they were allowed to go to Turkey where they were supposed to stay. They were supposed to stay in Turkey until the war was over. But Turkey, under Erdogan, handing over these three leaders to Ukraine, and there was a big welcoming ceremony there. So any, you know, any, any, any uh, rebuttal to the idea that Ukraine is a Nazi state, um, may those rebuttals, may those words forever rest and hold their peace because they celebrated the return of Nazis to their country. Literal, literal Nazis, like the Azov guys are as Nazi as they get. I, I don't know what to tell you, but upon sending these Azov leaders back to Ukraine, where they will probably go back to playing leadership roles in Ukraine or somewhere in Ukraine on doing this and reneging on the surrender deal of these men that they had when they were allowed to leave Mariupol. They've the Turks have created a lot of problems between themselves and Russia. And Russia, although only partially in response to this, there was a, a, a different list of grievances that the Russians had. Um, the Russians have pulled out of the grain deal. And they did this because they accused Ukraine of using the safe harbors, which were meant for the movement of their agricultural produce you know, out onto the wider market. So they didn't, you know, their economy didn't completely implode on itself. Russia accused Ukraine of using these safe harbors meant for the transportation of their agricultural produce to import weapons while simultaneously denying the free flow of Russian grain through these same passages by essentially accusing the Russians of having stolen the grain from Ukraine. And then they go through boarding and checks that were carried out by the Turks and the Turkish Navy. Uh, so you had a lot of tensions, a lot of grievances that were built up over this period of time, uh, over the course of the last year. And now it's sort of, it's sort of all sort of unraveling at the same time. If I, if I am reading into this correctly, it's sort of unraveling all at the same time, which gives us a, a bit of things to talk about. So this is going to have major ramifications on food prices, primarily among countries in the Middle East and Africa, because they are the most dependent on Russian and Ukrainian grain. So the, the fact that the, the fact that Ukrainian grain is now um, back on open season for Russian, <laughs> the Russian drones and missiles and the Russian Navy is going to mean that essentially Russia is going to put a blockade on Ukraine's ports again. Russia is going to blockade the dog shit out of Ukraine's ports again, and there's nothing Ukraine can do about it. 
to this time they can't be bailed out by a deal because the they and turkey were trying to extend the grain deal which was the you know the free flow they were trying to extend that deal but the russians said no you know we're not gonna do that so this is gonna go down the deal is gonna end the russians are gonna resume the blockade of ukrainian grain and they're gonna start shooting at it and their excuses oh you were you were funneling weapons you were not negotiating in good faith you were not carrying out the the terms of this deal in good faith and so we're just not going to deal with you now that has ramifications before we move on i just sort of dawned on me that that collapse in trust on this deal is going to build further on the case which is eventually going to be made in russian high command that you can't it's going to build on that case that you cannot negotiate with Ukraine. Because, again, we have to go back to 2014, not start at 2022. Minsk one, the Ukrainians didn't, they didn't honor their end of the deal. Minsk two, Ukraine didn't honor their end of the deal. And they pretended to for eight years so that they could rearm, which meant blatantly violating the deal in the very end, which is why Russia invaded them to begin with. They didn't honor that end of the deal. Then when the Russians came in and they forced Ukraine to the table again for the unofficial Minsk III deal that the Ukrainians, the Ukrainian delegation initialed, we now know that they did. We now know that they had reached a preliminary deal back in March or late March and early April of 2022 when the war began. And then they went back on it. They went back on every piece and decided that they would rather fight the war to the bitter end. They went back. On, so you can't go on so many levels. And now here's another one. There's just plenty of examples of time after time after time where the Ukrainians and the Ru- reach a deal with Russia only to go back on their word. Now, in this case, it's the, the Turks who have facilitated the, the reneging of this deal. But it's not just the Azov people who were supposed to stay in Turkey being handed over. It's the grain deal and Ukraine using that deal in bad faith to import weapons into Ukraine. Or at least that's what the Russians accused them of doing. So if that's what the Russians are accusing them of doing, then obviously they don't trust that they're doing this in good faith and now they have welcomed back in these azov leaders now the ukrainians could have said no because it's not like turkey just woke up one day and said hey we're going to release these guys here you go and we're going to send them back home no ukraine could have said hey we would we would love to have them back but we agreed we made this deal with russia as part of their surrender they have to stay in turkey until the war is over they could have done that but they didn't they let them back in so they did go back on their word, even though it was largely, it was a reneging of that deal was largely facilitated by Turkey. But here, yet again, you have another two instances in the case of what we're talking about right now, another two instances of Ukraine making a deal with Russia and then going back on it or, or being duplicitous in it or using the deal in bad faith to do things that are going to harm Russia. And I made the case when this war began that what reason does you, Russia have to believe that Ukraine would honor a deal? 
like when when the idea of a negotiated settlement sort of became popularized like around the fall of last year around the fall of last year when the idea of a, a negotiated settlement started started becoming more popularized in the in the mainstream talk it, it was already making its rounds during the summer of last year during in the sources that i listened to like jimmy Dore, jack Hinkle, uh the duran scott ritter ducks mcgregor they were already talking about that they were ahead of the curve then when it made its way mainstream in uh the fall winter of last year when when that sort of came to the front i was there you know pitching in in my my way that i do you know it's it's it ain't much but it's honest work i came in and i said what reason i asked the question what reason does russia have to trust that ukraine would honor a deal they went back on minsk one they went back on minsk oh my god they they pretended to implement minsk, minsk two for eight years it's not even that they just went back on that that they didn't implement it it's that they lied about it for eight years for the sole purpose of arming and building up their military so so they could fight russia they they signed and initialed the deal with Minsk with the unofficial Minsk three deal that they reached back in March of last year. Putin just exposed Ukraine a few weeks ago when he showed off the deal that they had and the stipulations of that deal, which gave Ukraine everything it could have wanted except for the Donbass. But you can't fault Putin for that because they were already going to get the Donbass had they gone along with Minsk two. The Donbass was going to be, uh, they were going to have autonomy. They were going to have autonomy in Ukraine, but they were going to still be a part of Ukraine with Minsk II. And with Minsk I, had they just agreed to the ceasefire and to stop the fighting, they would have had it all. They would have had Crimea, they would have had the Donbass, and they would have had full sovereignty. No changes would have had to be made to Ukraine internally whatsoever, but they couldn't do it. They said no to that deal. They reneged on it. They lied about the second deal and then violated it in every way possible for eight years. They signed and initialed the third deal and then went back on their word to fight Russia for another year. And they, they make this grain deal. They reach this deal with Russia last year for the passage of grain. And then they use that to import weapons. And now here they are accepting these three leaders from Azov who were supposed to stay in Turkey for the duration of the war as per their surrender at Mariupol. And now they're welcoming them back in. They're giving them the heroes welcome. It's just another two heaps of sand to go onto the, the mountain that we already have. You, If Ukraine cannot be trusted to honor these deals, every deal that they make with the Russians, they, they break the deal. If they can't be trusted to honor the deal, then why, what incentive does Russia have for a negotiated settlement? And why would they do it? And why would they do it with a ritualistic, pathological liar like Ukraine? The Ukrainians lie to the Russians about everything. And every time they make a deal, the Ukrainians break the deal or they don't implement it. So what chance is there now of a negotiated settlement with two more broken deals on the part of Ukraine? 
I don't think that there's going to be a negotiated settlement. I really don't. And this just sort of confirms my belief. It furthers it along because now there's two more instances because you know this conversation is going to be had at some point in the high in the halls of Russian government in the Russian high command when they get around to asking themselves the question of what exactly they're going to do with Ukraine. They're going to have to ask, okay, are we going to annex it? Are we going to annex most of it? Half of it? Because we're obviously going to take land. We're not giving up Kherson and Zaporizhia. We're not giving up the Donbass. And we're certainly not giving up Crimea. We're probably going to go all the way to Transnistria. But what what else? Are we going to go into Ruthenia or Carpathia? Are we going to go into Galicia? You know, the western parts of Ukraine? Are we going to leave that autonomous? At some point, they're going to have to ask what they're going to do with Ukraine. But the chances that Ukraine could have gotten a negotiated settlement are going to be a lot slimmer now. Because when they when they and the United States and the West eventually approach Russia for such an arrangement, it's inevitably going to come up in the Russian circle when they're discussing this. But can we trust the Ukrainians to honor whatever deal we make? If they break every other deal, why should we believe that they won't break this ceasefire that we're going to make with them now in the event that they even bother considering a negotiated settlement at this point in time there's there's no reason to if you're russian you've been you've been burned enough to know that the fire is hot there's no point in touching the fire again to see if it's cooled down it's going to burn you there's no point in Extending an olive branch to the Ukrainians when you know, and extending a deal to the Ukrainians when you know they're going to break it. I don't think there's going to be a negotiated settlement, and this further cements my belief. Um, so, I, and I'll sort of come back from that side note. We have the multipolar worlds to talk about because Turkey did this, and this is going to have major ramifications on food prices uh, in the Middle East and Africa. But it's also, like I said, a glimpse into the way that the multipolar world order functions. The, a way, the way that the world used to work before the last 200 years or so with the Industrial Revolution, the massive imbalance in power dynamics created by that, where the United States and the industrialized countries of Europe had this ridiculous level of power compared to everyone else. It's, it took a while for everyone else to catch up. But now that everyone else is caught up and we've deindustrialized, now the world goes back to functioning like normal. And that is the multipolar world order. And Turkey has given us a sort of example of how nations in that world order function. Even as we're not quite yet in the multipolar world, it's still emerging. It's not solidified yet. But Turkey's given us a masterclass and we're going to study it for a little bit. Because Turkey, as a NATO member, they have come under a lot of scrutiny a lot of scrutiny for the role that they have played in the Russo-Ukrainian war. The world the role they've played as a mediator, as an arms dealer, as a middleman of goods and trade and energy and as a future gas hub because they accepted that deal from the Russians. <clears throat> All things that were in Turkey's interest to do, mind you. But now, but because that they try to play both sides in the same way that Belarus tried to do, in the same way that Ukraine could have done, 
because Turkey is also a NATO member, because they are technically in with the West, but they have the door open to the East, and they've been talking a lot with the Russians, and they even got S-300s or S-400s, I believe. And that, that, that was a, a scandal in and of itself. But because Turkey has been doing things that are in its interest to do, while simultaneously being caught between uh, two superpowers, they've been forced into a really tough situation. Because as a NATO member, it is expected that you will go along with NATO. And what has NATO been doing? They've been going all in on using Ukraine as a vassal to destroy Russia. But what has Turkey been doing? They've been playing both sides. At the beginning of the war, they were selling drones to the Ukrainians. Selling, not giving. They didn't, they didn't just hand over the weapon. No, they sold it. You want these drones? You, you can buy them. Brokey. <laughs> and they did. Which is honestly what we should have been doing. If we were going to be involved in the war at all, the Ukrainians should have been buying the equipment, not us giving it away. Because now we have to pay to get it back. The Turks don't have that problem. The money's already been the money's already been delivered to the account. But because they are a NATO member, it is expected that you go along with NATO. And all of NATO, the United States, every country in Europe, they've been all in on Ukraine and destroying Russia. But except for Turkey. Turkey's been partially on Ukraine's side. Then they were uh, then they were a mediator, and then they sort of slid over to the Russian side, onto the side of the multipolar world order, because they can see the winds. They know where the wind is blowing, and it's not towards this American empire, or as people have taken to calling it today, the collective West. It's not blowing in our favor. It's blowing in the favor of the multipolar world order. Turkey is hitching its wagon to that world order, but because they're still playing the two sides and one of those sides is our side, they have certain obligations that they have to meet. And they have, and because they have not met those obligations, those expectations, and they know the, the kinds of people that they're dealing with, they were put in a very rough situation. I mean, Turkey is well aware, Erdogan especially, He's well aware that the U.S. and NATO has been breathing down his neck over his refusal to be all in on Ukraine just by playing a much more neutral role than any other country in NATO has. He has all of them breathing down his neck. Erdogan also has personal experience uh, such that he know he's well aware of America in particular, America's nasty habit of overthrowing governments it doesn't like. Remember back in 2016 when there was that attempted coup against Erdogan? He knows the kinds of people that he's dealing with on both sides of the equation, both the American side and on the, the Russian and Chinese side. And so even as he's hitching his wagon to the multipolar world, he's covering his flank by doing these things because... There's, there's a lot of talk about how he's he's pissed off the Russians, undoubtedly. Pissed off the Russians. But in a way, it was sort of necessary for him to do. It was necessary for him to approve Sweden being led into, into NATO. It was necessary for him to approve sending these, these leaders, these Azov battalion leaders back to Ukraine. It was necessary for him to appease the United States and NATO. It was necessary. 
so that ironically it was necessary for him to appease the west so that he could finish the job in interfacing and interconnecting with the east if that makes sense he had to he had to throw the west off of his scent so that he could buy the time necessary the, the time and the security necessary to finish integrating turkey with the emerging multipolar world order and as a result he's given us uh, i say erdogan but turkey in general has given us a very good example of a country acting in their own self-interest and they've been doing that for the course of the, the entirety of the war um but with the emerging multipolar world order i just thought i'd you know just throw that in at the cost of pissing off the russians of course but he again turkey can keep america at bay and perhaps keep him at bay long enough for the American empire to cease its existence. I I honestly don't see the American empire outlasting Ukraine, certainly not outlasting the Taiwan situation, especially the Taiwan situation. If we go to war with China over Taiwan, that's the economic collapse will kick in immediately. And then there is no more empire. And perhaps that's how this whole thing ends with Taiwan. But Turkey has very, maybe not excellently, maybe not excellently, but very smartly. They've done it. They've done it smart enough because they've done it successfully. They have threaded the needle, but between the two sides that they are placed, they're on both sides right now. They're, they're trying to get the maximum benefit out of both, but they know that going all in on the multipolar side of things will evoke an incredibly negative reaction and response from the American empire. And they don't want to deal with that right now while the American, at least not while the American empire still has the potency to do some serious damage to Turkey. Uh, in, I mean, in short, Turkey, a regional power caught between two superpowers had to appease one superpower, America, in order to buy the time necessary to complete its transition away from America and towards the multipolar world order led by Russia and China. The cost was pissing off the Russians, but he bought time keeping America at bay so that Turkey could solidify. So the Turkey could solidify its place in the multipolar world order as it sort of solidifies in the region, that being the Middle East. And as the multipolar world order, takes a hold because it, it takes time to replace whole entire world orders it takes time for countries to start doing things differently now it's moving at a rapid pace don't get me wrong but it's still we're still living in the liberal world order but as that world that le- american-led structure begins to decline and it's in steep decline he moves over to this new, the new order. But it's the transition period that's dangerous for Turkey. He wants the security of the multipolar world order. You get economic investment from China, you get military security from Russia, and you don't have America overthrowing everyone's governments and creating wars and conflict and chaos. But that transition globally is not complete. It's not even complete in the region yet. Even though it's made significant progress, America still has the power and influence to throw wrenches into that plan. So if you want security, 
and you're you have the security of being in the American umbrella, right? That that's partial security, and you also have the security of being so close to the multipolar world. So by appeasing America, you can finish integrating with the multipolar world. And the and another reason why they do this is so that they are not sabotaged by the United States. Because had they had they gone all in on Russia, all in on China, and just cut ties or prevented or presented the appearance of having cut ties with the American Empire, America would have gone all in on another government regime change attempt. America would have sabotaged Turkey, like we do whenever we don't get our way with a country. We would have tried to sabotage them. Especially with the whole gas hub deal, especially with the Turks as the go-to mediator for peace deal between Ukraine and Russia. If there is to be a deal reached between those two, it's probably going to be hashed out in Turkey. It's probably going to be hashed out there. So you you're, you are a target. This war has made Turkey much more relevant in geopolitics than it's been in quite some time. But with that relevance has come the danger of being a little too relevant. And catching the eye of un, of people you don't want to catch the eye of. People in the United States that have an itchy trigger finger for overthrowing people's governments. So by appeasing America, Turkey has bought themselves the time to go all in on the multipolar world. Because now it's oh okay they're they're still on our side okay they're still they're not all they're not with Russia all the way they they stab Putin in the back yeah. They they they're helping Ukraine by giving them their leaders back. Yeah, Turkey's on our side. And then when the whole thing ends, Turkey will still have its place in the multipolar world. So, all that's to say, all that is to say that long rant is to say that similar to Iran, Turkey has given us a lesson in how to navigate through tough decisions while in pursuit of one's strategic interests. And as the American-led liberal world order comes to a close, along with America's ability and desire to control other countries, as, as that wanes, more countries, like Turkey, will be able to pursue their own strategic interests. And increasingly, those interests are going to be within the context of a multipolar world. So it's it's been very interesting to observe. It's been very interesting to observe this, this piece of diplomatic diplomatic thread weaving if i have to call it something but yeah very very interesting very interesting indeed and we'll see how it plays out for turkey i i do believe turkey has a brighter future in the multipolar world i do believe instead of the status quo which is the liberal world order i think they have a brighter future i think a lot of countries have a brighter future in the multipolar world to tell you the truth um now in terms of relative power it, it's going to go back to the East, and then it's going to go to the Middle East. Now, a lot of people aren't looking at the Middle East. I think the Middle East are going to rise uh, tremendously this century, just by way of the demographic declines in the West and in Asia. The Middle East is going to be a force to be reckoned with. But that is uh, a topic that I talked about a few weeks ago. So check that episode out. We talked about the rise of the Middle East. But with that being said, but with that being said, we've gotten another masterclass in how to pursue real strategic interests. 
First it was Iran, then it was Russia, then it was China, now it's Turkey. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I thought I had to sneeze. I thought I had to sneeze, but then it didn't come out. And you, you ever get that? Uh, but, hey, but anyway, we have Turkey playing their cards as best they can. Maybe it wasn't the perfect hand. Maybe the Russians won't forgive them this time. But if there was a chance, they've taken it. And so we'll see how this plays out. Very interesting to watch. Uh, I gotta say, I'm really enjoying watching the rise of this multipolar world order. But that being said, we'll move on to our next topic. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.